Chapter six of the Life and Times of Kateri Tekakwitha, the Lily of the Mohawks, by Ellen Walworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. An Army on Snowshoes. The year sixteen sixty six was indeed an eventful one. It opened with a heavy snowstorm, and others followed until the whole Mohawk Valley was covered with a depth of feathery whiteness. At its eastern end, a dark pool lay at the foot of Cohoa's Falls, where the frosty spray of the roaring cataract glistened on every tiny bush, and the black cliffs on either side frowned from under their snowy caps at the silent meeting of the two frozen rivers. Off to the west, at the distant Mohawk castle of Tianontigan, the nose lay frost-bitten at a sudden turn of the valley, its long stiff point thrust down into the ice and fastened there as if held in a vice. Throughout the length of the glittering smooth depression between these two points, the Mohawk seemed to be fast asleep beneath its thick mantle of snow. In the whole valley there was only one hamlet of quiet Dutchmen who had settled themselves at Corlaer or Schenectady, while in the great bend were nestled the snug bark huts of the indians with their surrounding palisades a chain of mohawk castles lay on the south side of the river linked together by a single trail a narrow footpath through the snow along the lower terrace which is now occupied by the west shore railway this trail connected the lodges of the three great mohawk clans the bears of andagoran in the centre with the turtles of gondawagua and the wolves of tianontigan on either side then it extended eastward through dreary solitudes to schenectady and on the other hand far westward through lonely passes to the castles of the oneidas thence on to the onondagas the cayugas and last of all to the senecas how cold and yet how secure those iroquois indians of the five nations felt in their fastnesses for hundreds of miles to the north and to the south of them lay the all-covering snow unmarked by other footprints than their own in search of game the lands of their algonquin foes though bordering their own domain were long journeys off the dutch settlers at schenectady and albany were right within their grasp should they choose to distress them but they had solemnly pledged their friendship to them in the Tawasentha Valley, at the place of many dead, and they meant to keep their word. The French, however, they delighted to torment. The settlements at Quebec, Three Rivers, and Montreal were separated from the five nations by the great pathless Adirondack wilderness of mountains and forest. And yet two ways were open by which they might reach the French. One of their war-paths led from Onondaga Lake along the Oswego River and Lake Ontario, then through the Thousand Islands and down the rapids of the St. Lawrence River. The reverse of this route was taken by the venturesome French colonists, who, as we have seen, endeavored to make a settlement in the heart of the Iroquois country about the time of Tekakwitha's birth. Their hair-breadth escape from Onondaga soon after by the same route put an end to all thought of settling what the French considered a part of New France. This was the region now known as Onondaga County, which the Onondaga Indians themselves have claimed from prehistoric times as their birthright, 
and hold yet under the name of the onondaga reservation and here now in the heart of this great state in spite of the encroachment of two hundred years of civilization in spite of the teachings of christianity all about them in spite of the covetous longings of many a white man they still keep a foothold and maintain the practice of their old pagan rites and customs the great western route through oswego and st lawrence rivers to canada belonging by first right to these onondagas was travelled many times during tekakwitha's childhood by the onondaga statesman garacantier he frequently restored captives to the french at quebec and tried often but in vain to keep peace between them and his own race the second and more direct of the two great war-paths to canada was the route of the mohawks no wonder the kaniengas tormented the french settlements on the st lawrence starting from their castles in the mohawk valley and taking any one of three or more trails that crossed or skirted our present saratoga county they had but to strike lake george follow the lake to its outlet traverse the length of lake champlain and then pass through the richelieu sorel or iroquois river it was known by all these names and they were ready to destroy the grain and tomahawk or take captive the wives and children of the canadian settlers the french had built three forts on this richelieu or iroquois river to check their inroads fort richelieu fort st louis and fort st therese and were now only waiting till spring opened to erect a fourth to be called fort st anne on an island at the northern end of lake champlain samuel de champlain the first frenchman who set foot on new york soil was chiefly responsible for the long-continued wars between his countrymen and the iroquois he having fired without provocation on a band of iroquois warriors probably mohawks when he first sailed into the lake which bears his name by repeated outrages on the canadian frontier the mohawks had amply revenged themselves for that first affront and by the end of the year sixteen sixty five they had goaded the french into a determination to brave unheard-of risks and frightful sufferings that they might punish their savage enemies in a manner that would for once and all humiliate and subdue them thus it was that on the ninth of january sixteen sixty six a heroic army composed of three hundred regular french troops of the regiment carignan salieres veterans who had seen service in turkey in the wars of louis the fourteenth together with two hundred habitants or hardy volunteers from the canadian colony all under the command of monsieur de courcelles governor of canada were fairly started on a march from quebec to the mohawk castles they intended to push on without delay to their destination through snow and ice over rivers and lakes by the great mohawk route it had been travelled hitherto only by indians captives and a few missionaries with now and then perhaps a solitary adventurer rarely indeed by any even of these in the depth of winter this army of de courcelles was the very first of a great succession of pale-faced armies that have come tramping over the same route during the last two centuries if burgoyne's march to the saratoga battlefield was the most famous of all these de courcelles march to the mohawk was certainly the first and the most heroic in its struggle with unparalleled difficulties 
this march could not but be tedious every one having snowshoes on his feet to the use of which none were accustomed and all not excepting the officers or even monsieur de courcelles himself being loaded each with from twenty-five to thirty pounds of biscuit clothing and other necessaries it did indeed require a french courage to undertake such an expedition many had as early as the third day parts of the body frozen and were so benumbed by the cold that they had to be carried to the place where they were to pass the night the twenty-fifth of january was especially severe and many soldiers were obliged to be taken back to the settlements of whom some had the legs cut by the ice and others the hands or the arms or other parts of the body altogether frozen the ranks were filled up again at forts st louis and st therese on the richelieu river where the troops assembled on the thirtieth of the same month and being still five hundred strong they pushed bravely on over the snow that lay so level and smooth on the frozen bosom of lake champlain here the route lay plainly before them and they were counting on algonquin guides to show them the way to the mohawk castles after they got to the southern end of lake st sacrament lake george the snow was hard frozen though in most places four foot deep and besides using indian snowshoes which hath the very form of a racket tied to each foot whereby the body and feet are kept from sinking into the snow the governor caused slight sledges to be made in good number and laying provisions upon them drew them over the snow with mastiff dogs the shivering troops wrapped their blankets tightly round them as they lay down to sleep on the snow at the foot of mount defiance or threaded the narrow valley leading to lake george the awkward soldier striding over the snow fumbles with frost-bitten fingers in his knapsack for the last of his biscuits as one might have foretold he has stepped on the snowshoe of his comrade and both go plunging head foremost into the snow the dogs jogging on beside them unchecked for a moment run wildly on barking aloud and scattering the load of the toboggan to which they are attached the articles are rescued piecemeal by the soldiers all along the line there is no time to stop however they must march on or starve so giving their fallen comrades momentary help to set them on their feet again they are left to fall into line as best they may and just in time to bring up the rear as the army passes over lake george in the shadow of black mountain how eagerly de courcelles looks back at his staggering column of men were he in a less serious mood he might be inclined to smile at the efforts of the gallant troops of the regiment carignan salieres to maintain an orderly march on the unaccustomed snowshoes but the anxious commander has other thoughts than these where are his algonquin guides have the rascals failed him calling the jesuit chaplain father raffe to his side a consultation ensues they are already nearing the future site of fort william henry and there the trails divide they scan the shores of the lake and search the islands but neither algonquin friend nor iroquois foe is in sight they know that if they march on until they reach the hudson and follow it down they will find the dutch at fort orange but that is not their object they long for a chance to strike a decisive blow at the mohawk castles 
if they can once convince the mohawks that they are not secure in their forest homes from the armies of france nor the strong revengeful arm of anuncio a treaty will afterwards be of some value the jesuit father who talks with de courcelles dreams already of a mission established among them as the result of that future treaty with ardent enthusiasm he sees in anticipation an army of jesuits march to a spiritual attack on the citadel of satan upreared in the iroquois country his heart thrills at the thought of reaching the spot where isaac jogues was martyred father lemoyne the second andesanc has died since then the onondagas that very year sent presents to quebec to wipe away the tears shed for his death thus expressing their sorrow and their admiration for his character father Raffe cheers with zealous words the drooping spirits of the soldiers then kneels amid the snows of lake st sacrament and in the true spirit of his order prays in his heart for a share in the glorious work of continuing andesanc's mission the army of de courcelles at the southern end of lake george was uncertain which trail to follow at the turtle castle on the mohawk the indians had no knowledge of the march of their enemies else there would have been great alarm at gondawagua for all the ablest warriors of the three castles in company with the oneidas were making war on the tribe called wampum makers only boys and helpless old men were left in the lodges with the women they knew nothing of de courcelles and his army so near at hand but like their dutch neighbors at schenectady were earnestly fighting their nearer and more pitiless foe the bitter winter all the fuel near their lodges had been burned long ago and now they are searching the snowdrifts for faggots and branches fallen from the trees the cold is intense the wind that whistles through the palisades of the turtle village is the same sharp blast that is pinching de courcelles army at gondawagua outside of the palisade is a little girl on snowshoes only nine years old who with imperfect sight is groping her way through the blinding storm the snow is drifting wildly about the one whom she calls mother is only an aunt and the aunt is cold and cross to-day she sits by the dying embers there in the lodge of the absent chief and by turns she shivers and scolds the other women beside her are equally cheerless the little niece who has missed the kindly look she knows well how to win from her mohawk uncle by welcome services when he is there in the lodge has taken it into her head this comfortless day to surprise her cross old aunts and her adopted sister so she has quietly tied on her snowshoes and ventured out she is in the forest alone searching for faggots on her forehead is a burden strap made from filaments of basswood bark the ends twisted into a kind of indian rope with it she fastens the faggots together bearing them on her back her hands are tingling with cold but she plunges them deep into the snow in an effort to break the larger twigs while she hurries on to increase her load she is happier now in the howling storm than she was in the pent lodge and smiles as she thinks of the blazing fire she will make to warm the feet and thaw the heart of her morose old aunt ah tekakwitha that grim old squaw is training you without knowing it for heroic things 
but after all the aunt is not a neglectful guardian after a while she misses the child and questions all in the lodge then peers out into the storm and shrinks back shuddering has she indeed allowed Tecaquitha to wander out and perish in the cold in that case what will she be able to say to the uncle when he returns what will become of her own plans for the girl as time goes on there comes a faint scuffling at the door the heavy curtain is lifted a little and falls again no one has entered hurrying to the door the old squaw thrusts the curtain aside and there she beholds the child staggering under her load of wood stiff and helpless from the cold leaving the faggots at the door she lifts her gently in her arms and takes her to the fire which is soon blazing brightly fed by the new supply of wood quickly thrown upon it but the glow of the fire round which they all gather is not half so cheering to the heart of the frost-bitten child as the glow of love she has awakened in the lodge by her sweet unselfish care for their comfort this once at least they give her the warmest seat and fill her bowl brimful with the freshly made sagamite then they question her about her walk and wonder how she escaped being buried in the snow tecaquitha smiles with happy content and answers their questions with a ready wit she makes them laugh as she tells them a merry story of how the north wind slapped her in the face and bound her fast to the hickory tree against which she stumbled in the storm in her heart she is saying all the time as she watches the cheery light of the fire i will do it again but where is de courcel now and his army on snowshoes we left them at the southern end of lake george there they took the trail that met the hudson at its great bend to the southward near glens falls then after crossing the river they followed a straight trail leading a little west of south and passed between saratoga lake and owl pond or lake lonely next they followed up the valleys of caia de Roseras creek and the morning hill to balston lake but there happily for tecaquitha's people they made a mistake instead of taking the trail that branched off to the west at the northern end of balston lake and led directly to the mohawk castles they followed the straight trails southward so instead of surprising the mohawks they themselves were indeed surprised to find that it brought them to a hamlet not of indians but of dutchmen not subjects of holland at all but colonists subject to england they were greatly bewildered we are told in an old london document at monsieur de Courcel encamped upon the ninth of february within two miles of a small village called schenectady lying in the woods beyond fort albany in the territories of his royal highness and three days march from the first castle of the mohawks the french supposed they were then come to their designed place and the rather because at evening they did rencounter with a party of the mohawks who made appearance of retreating from the french whereupon a party of sixty of their best fusiliers after them but that small party drew the french into an ambuscade of near two hundred mohawks planted behind trees who taking their advantage as it fell into their hands at one volley slew eleven frenchmen whereof one was a lieutenant wounded diverse others 
the french party made an honourable retreat to their body which was marching after them close at hand which gave the mohawks time and opportunity to march off with the loss of only three slain upon the place and six wounded the report whereof was soon brought to schenectady by those indians with the heads of four of the french to the commissary of the village who immediately dispatched the news to fort albany from whence the next day three of the principal inhabitants were sent to monsieur courcelle the governor of canada to inquire of his intention to bring such a body of armed men into the dominions of his majesty of great britain without acquainting the governor of these parts with his designs the governor replied that he came to seek out and destroy his enemies the mohawks without intention of visiting their plantations or else to molest any of his majesty's subjects and that he had not heard of the reducing those parts to his majesty's obedience but desired that he and his soldiers might be supplied with provisions for their money and that his wounded men might be succored and taken care for in albany to all which the emissaries freely consented and made a small but acceptable presence of wine and provisions to him further offering the best accommodations ye poor village afforded which was civilly refused in regard there was not accommodation for his soldiers with whom he had marched and camped under the blue canopy of the heavens full six weeks but he prudently foresaw a greater inconvenience if he brought his weary and half-starved people within the smell of a chimney-corner whom he now could keep from straggling or running away not knowing whither to run for fear of the indians the next day monsieur courcelle sent his men to the village where they were carefully dressed and sent to albany being seven in number the dutch boers carried to the camp such provisions as they had and were too well paid for it especially peas and bread of which a good quantity was bought ye mohawks were all gone to their castles with resolution to fight it out against the french who being refreshed and supplied with the aforesaid provisions made a show of marching towards the mohawks castles but with faces about in great silence and diligence returned towards canada those who observed the words and countenance of monsieur courcelle saw him disturbed in mind that the king was master of these parts of the country saying that the king of england did grasp at all america two prisoners taken by the mohawks in the retreat tell them yet this summer another attempt will be made upon their country with a greater force and supplies of men the truth or success of which i shall not now discourse upon having given the true relation of what passed from the twenty ninth december to the twelfth of february another and larger force did attack the mohawk castles in the year sixteen sixty six as hinted at in the lines just quoted but not until late in the autumn and at that time tekakwitha was disturbed and distressed far more than she had been by the misdirected march of the army on snowshoes End of chapter 6